This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Douglas Murray's latest must-read book has been called the most important of the year. But that's to be expected, with the British commentator now firmly established as one of the most significant writers of our time. The War on the West, How to Prevail in the Age of Unreason, is his latest assault on the parasitic woke culture threatening our way of life as he implores us to take pride in our history. So... Douglas valiantly defends the West from its detractors and examines how Western civilization's greatest achievements from medicine um, to science and to culture and free thinking are actually being erased from history as the product of dead white males. And one of those dead white males, a hostile term dreamed up by the intolerant left, is a certain Winston Churchill who has been dishonestly smeared because despite heroically defeating Hitler, and fascism, he was a dead old white male. And Douglas, congratulations on the book. Um, while you were writing it, what did you discover about why these woke warriors on the left are so desperate to destroy Churchill in particular? Well, that's a very good question, Dan. Um, I look at the lies they've been telling about and I take them apart one by one. And I think everybody in Britain needs to know about these lies because they are so invidious, they are so unfair, they are so filled with untruths. Um, 20 years ago, the BBC ran a Greatest Britain's poll. And if you remember, we voted overwhelmingly to make Winston Churchill name him as our Greatest Britain. And it's hardly surprising. We have a lot of great heroes in Britain, but Churchill must count as among the greatest of the lot. So I was amazed in recent years to see this reputation starting to be assaulted and then finally overturned. Nowadays, when the BBC runs any news, news story about Winston Churchill, you always get these 10 things that he did wrong. He's accused of racism. He's accused of all sorts of things. Uh, or he's accused of having values of the Victorian era, which, since he was born in the Victorian era, shouldn't be that much of a surprise to anyone. Amazingly enough, not all of Churchill's beliefs were what we believe in 2022. Amazing, that, isn't it? Um, but one of the things I kept coming to was, why did it become so vicious? Why, by 2020, with the BLM protests in London, was Churchill's statue so often assaulted, more often than the Cenotaph, more often than any other memorial? Uh, why was it so often assaulted? Why did it end up having to be boxed up in a steel box? Because there is a war going on against everything in our history and in our culture in the United Kingdom and across the wider West. It is a massive campaign that has been growing for years and has sped up in the last few years. It is a war that intends to take out our heroes. It's not an accident that they've come for Churchill. It's absolutely central because the activists of the far left, the Marxists and others all know that if you take out Churchill, you take out Britishness. If you destroy our holy places, you destroy our place. It's the same in America, where the same people have been trying to tear down Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and the founding fathers. It's the same in Canada. It's the same in Australia, as you know. It's the same story everywhere. And this has a historic precedent. 
if you want to carry out a cultural revolution, as is being attempted on Britain at the moment and the wider West, you have to make sure that you desecrate our holy places. You tear down our monuments. You replace them with your own gods. You, you, you destroy the temples of the West in order that the peoples of the West know that they are totally subjugated and have to hand themselves over to whoever it is who plans to run the place afterwards. It's very deliberate, very concerted, and everybody in Britain needs to know how to fight back against this. But Douglas, what your book makes so clear and one of the things that is so disturbing is that much of this attempt to erase our history actually comes from within formerly great oh, yes. British institutions. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are lots of forms of anti-Westernism that I could write about. There's Arab anti-Westernism. Uh, uh, Russian anti-Westernism, Chinese anti-Westernism. But what I'm interested in is Western anti-Westernism. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Why would any culture do this to ourselves? And now in Britain in particular, the only country worse is America. In Britain in particular, every one of our institutions is waging war on our own culture. Take any institution, the Globe Theatre in London, seeks to decolonize Shakespeare. One of its experts recently described Shakespeare's language as all over the place because it's, she accused it of racism because amazingly Shakespeare uses terms like light and darkness. Uh, so the Globe Theater decolonizes Shakespeare. The British Library publishes a incredibly cack-handed list of British authors who are dead, who are tainted with slavery. This included Ted Hughes, the late poet laureate, who was born in the 1930s in a, to a very poor background in Yorkshire and never benefited anything from slavery, which, which, which took place centuries before his birth. They smeared the late poet laureate and distinguished poet Ted Hughes uh, um, for something he had no connection with. Look at the, the Tate Gallery in London, which has closed up a room with one of the greatest murals in London by Rex Whistler, painted by the Tate. They smeared Rex Whistler, who died on his first day in action in 1944, fighting the Nazis. They've smeared him at Tate Britain, one of their own artists, as a racist because of one detail in a mural which has nothing to do with racism. They've smeared one of their paintings by Stanley Spencer, one of the great paintings of the National Collection, The Resurrection at Cookham. They've accused Stanley Spencer of racism in their own collection. You look at Kew Gardens, which has sought to mm. decolonize the gardens because gardens are racist, because lawns are racist. We've got the National Trust that believes that the buildings that they're meant to be looking after are actually the products of racism and colonialism and slavery. What I'm trying to urge on to you is the fact that everything, everything from government departments to all the people who are meant to be the custodians of our culture have turned on our culture. They exactly. have turned on the British people and our past. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So what do we do? Douglas, how do folk watching and getting as angry as I am hearing that beautifully put list of completely uh, shocking examples, what do we do? How do we fight back against this? Firstly, educate ourselves. One of the purposes of the war on the West is to give people the ammunition they need to push back against these people. The people making these claims are utterly and repeatedly ignorant. They know nothing about our past, even as they are busy defaming it. They call everybody a racist. They think everybody 
in Britain is tainted with racism, slavery, colonialism, and much more. So it's time to say no, no. I and you are guilty of nothing. We have no responsibility for slavery. We have no responsibility for colonialism. We are not a racist society. We are none of these things that we are accused of, none of it. It is deeply, deeply racist in itself to claim that everybody in Britain by some hereditary taint has to pay for a past we had nothing to do with. At the same time, we have to remind people that there is not just a history of shame in the United Kingdom. There is not just a story. Racism is part of the story of Britain, as sadly it's a story of every country and nation and peoples in the world. But it isn't our story. Slavery is a part of our story, but it isn't our story. Colonialism is a part of our story, but it isn't our story. So we have to simultaneously say not only that, no, we will not be made into these cowed, beaten up people who have to cringe our way through lives. We will not only not be that, we will be allowed to be proud of what is great about our nation now and what has been in the past. And here's, here's the, the evidence of why. Britain is one of the countries in the world, the top five repeatedly, the people in the world want to come to. Repeatedly. There are no boats leaving the south coast of England trying to flee to the continent and from there into Africa. There are no movements of people from, the, from America trying to smuggle their way to Central America. America, Britain, Canada, and other countries of the West are the countries that the world wants to come through. So this is my point. It's not just that we're good now. It's that, and the footfall proves that, it's that in order that we are good now, we must have done something right in the past. We aren't just lucky in our society. As a famous American sports player put it once, luck is the residue of design. We in Britain are not just lucky by happenstance or coincidence. We are lucky because people before us did good things. Great men and women did great things. And it would be the biggest disgrace imaginable if this generation decided to turn on all those people and dismiss that luck and dismiss those people and pretend that we're better than them. And that is what is going on in Britain on a daily basis. One final example, if I may. Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London two years ago, set up a commission, a, a Robespierrean titled commission on um, looking into diversity in the public realm. It, 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 it aspires to tell us what in our history in London we are allowed to keep up, what things need to be pulled down. Everybody on the commission is an anti-British person in one way or another. One of its members famously screamed at the Queen a few years ago in Westminster Abbey. Every single member of the commission is hostile to our history and to this country. They have no damn right to tell us what we are allowed to have up. And they have no damn right to tell us what we should put up in its place. And the current ideas they have to put up in its place are, oh, wait for it, things like a national slavery museum. They want to rewrite our history from a history of pride into a history of shame. I don't believe they can do it. And I'll tell you very quickly why. No minority group would put up with being talked to and about in this term. No minority group would agree that they are wicked from the cradle to the grave and everyone before them was wicked and they have nothing to be proud of. No minority group would agree to that. So here's the thing. The majority wouldn't and shouldn't put up with it either. No. We are the majority.
the people who want to destroy our past are the minority. So they're the ones who should lose. They're the ones who have to have this fight taken to them. They're the ones we clear out of the way. They are not the ones to stand judge over you, me, anyone else, let alone the people of our past, let alone Winston Churchill or any of our other heroes. I am shaken, I am stirred, and I am inspired by that. Douglas Murray, thank you so much. And Douglas's latest must-read book, The War on the West, How to Prevail in the Age of Unreason, is published on Thursday. Time for What the Farage. Now, the incredible news that Elon Musk has bought Twitter for $44 billion in a bid to reinstate free speech has been met with its biggest endorsement possible. It's sending the woke liberal elite into utter meltdown. The Tesla billionaire has vowed to let everyone say whatever they want on his social network as long as they can prove they are not bots. And he's even expected to reinstate banned users, including Donald Trump. And it's not gone down well with Twitter's army of censors. Oh, oh, sorry, I mean staff members working from home across San Francisco's poshest suburbs. Uh, I've reacted with emotional breakdowns, apparently. Uh, then there's the army of so-called Twitter celebs, a bizarre group of privileged people who believe you should only be accepted online if you sign up to their politically correct worldview. I'll shed no tears over the departure of the deeply unpleasant woke-topian Jamila Jamil, who vowed that Musk's future ownership meant that she had sent her final tweet. Ah, oh, he got Twitter, she mourned. He's buying it for free speech. It's going to become an even more lawless, hateful, xenophobic, bigoted, misogynistic space. But of course, these rank lefty hypocrites like Jamila have not deleted their accounts. She can't bear to be away from the attention of Twitter. And as I've said in a new column for Mail Online today, Twitter's become a liberal authoritarian bullying cesspit where debate goes to die. Elon Musk is the final hope to rescue free speech before the woke mind virus takes over big tech once and for all. So Nigel, this reminded me today, did you remember when all of the lefties, all of the Hollywood lefties vowed to quit the US when Trump became president? And of course, when he won, they didn't go anywhere. No, you're right. I mean, they, they, they're going absolutely bonkers. Um, <laughs> but by the way, it's not just the West Coasters. It's just not, you know, the lefties. Zach Goldsmith, Lord Goldsmith, a government minister, has expressed his deep worry that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, which tells you a fair bit about our current Conservative government. It <laughs> is a brash, outrageous move. Um, I was in the States this time last year, talking to some of the most powerful, and in some cases, some of the most wealthy people on earth about what do we do? What do we do? And they all said the same thing, to set up a new tech platform from scratch that can actually challenge the big boys would take not just money, but years. None of us in our wildest dreams thought this outrageous, audacious bid for Twitter would come from Elon Musk. It's potentially very good news, but it's not straightforward because he has got to drain the swamp of Twitter. And that is not going to be easy. A friend of mine spoke to a former senior exec in Europe of Twitter about me a couple of weeks ago. I won't use the words um, that were um, the expletive, should I say, that we used about me, which tells you all that you need to know. This platform, I mean, I was on Twitter early, very, very early. I recognised 
as a politician, as I was then, the potential of this. You know, whilst, of course, the Oxbridge lot in Westminster, none of them understood it, none of them got it. And I managed to build it up to 1.7 million followers, which by UK standards is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the last three years, I have made no progress. Zero. Uh, the tweets that I put out, the video clips that I put out, get roughly half uh, the, the coverage they would get three or four years ago. Now, it could be, Dan, that I'm washed up, old, boring, dull. Don't even say it. Say Don't it. even say it. <laughs> I'm prepared to accept it could be. Or it could be. You know that's not true. <laughs> but it could be that the algorithm discriminates against people yeah. like me. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty clear. We talk about Donald Trump being banned, whilst the Taliban, the day they took over Kabul, was still on Twitter. But it's the shadow banning yes. that has actually been even more sinister. And when you think just last weekend that Google are going to put a new feature um, on their product, which will try to amend our language to become more inclusive. Words like landlord could get some sort of a warning. Uh, you realize in the face of that, the sheer magnitude of what Musk is trying to do. How he's gonna find the right people within the organization, I just don't know. But then this is a man that has moved the most enormous mountains already so far in his career. And I do think that this is a moment for joy. I genuinely think it really is a moment to think that the pendulum that has gone so far in the liberal, or sorry, should I say illiberal direction, this could be the moment that it swings back. It's a very exciting day. Indeed, no, I think we absolutely have to celebrate it. Uh, Nigel, it was interesting because Trump has said over the past 24 hours, oh, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm not going to go back onto Twitter even if I'm allowed because he has his own truth social platform that he uh, quite clearly and understandably wants to promote. But in reality, Nigel, if he's running uh, for president, he, he, he can't turn down the opportunity to tweet again, can he? Trump won the election through Twitter. Brexit was won through social media. And then the giants on the West Coast realized, oh my God, we've created this monster, this monster. <laughs> Which we can't control. To, to yeah. go round the back of mainstream media, we can't be doing with it. I'm certain Trump will be back on Twitter, uh, connecting directly with tens of millions of people from 5.30 a.m. East Coast time every day, to the joy of many, to the horror of others. I wish him well, of course I do, with his Truth Social platform. But the fact is, for anyone to challenge the prominence and dominance of Twitter, of Facebook, of these giants, takes billions and takes many, many years. So I think Trump will be back and uh, our lives will be more interesting as a result of it. No, indeed. And, and it's interesting because 
Elon Musk has actually clarified what he means by free speech today, Nigel. I think it's quite important to, to share it, actually, because, of course, there has been this completely extreme reaction to what he's saying. And essentially, he says the extreme antibody reaction for those who fear free speech says it all. By free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I am against censorship that goes far beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws to that effect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contrary to the will of the people. So I have no idea, Nigel, what the left are getting their knickers in a twist over when it comes to this, because all Elon Musk is saying is that he no longer wants the big tech companies to be so powerful that they think they're above the law. Well, they had a November 2020 American presidential election where social media, mainstream media, refused, and I mean refused, to report on the financial excesses of Hunter Biden, mm. his relationships in Ukraine, his relationships that was Twitter. in Moscow, his relationships in Beijing and Twitter, and all of them conspired to stop that becoming part of the national and international debate. And so the leftists are going nuts because they thought they'd sewn the whole thing up in perpetuity. And now, as always happens in the history of mankind, good fights back against evil. And free speech is something that the generations that went before us stood up, sacrificed so much to defend. In fact, for you, Dan, of course, yesterday was Anzac Day, a very, very important day for all New Zealanders, all Australians. And that was all about making sure we had free will, making sure we could be self-governing, making sure we could express rights of free speech. And that is how fundamental all of this is. And I must say, honestly, I was a bit slow to warm to Elon Musk, but I now think the guy's a hero. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Nigel Farage, we've got an exciting few months ahead. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. As Netflix loses 200,000 subscribers over its deluge of lame liberal content, I'm joined tonight by one man who has been pushing the boundaries of comedy for nearly 50 years to the great displeasure of his perpetually offended critics. The young people that are in or watching jokes are what grown-ups laugh at. <laughs> People that come to Yarmouth are salt of the earth. I, I think it's fantastic to come here, all the tattoos and people rolling their own fags. <laughs> brilliant. And then the blokes as well. Jim Davidson has become enemy number one for woke, crazed theatre bosses and television broadcasters who decided almost overnight that his comedy was not fit for public viewing. But despite the cancel culture mob baying for his blood unfazed, Jim swatted away the joyless cretins and started his own streaming platform, Ustream, that focuses on the comedy people used to love. So, Jim... With Netflix going woke and maybe even going broke, you know, could this maybe be the start of a renaissance for un-PC entertainment? Well, Dan, you know, that's the word round the campfire, that people are getting sick of it. And it's people listening to what you say, make them think, hang on, 
we're being duped here. We're being taken down the, the river by, by these someone, the they people, who say you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and, and Netflix scratch their head and wonder why they're losing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of subscribers because they're putting stuff on. They're, they're just piling it all on, hoping that there's something for everybody. My channel is something for the people I know want to laugh like they used to. And it's great. Year one, we've had 10,000 subscribers through the door. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We're signing up Jethro's old stuff, Freddie Starr's old stuff, all the things that we used to laugh at. But you don't have to laugh at them behind closed doors. You don't have to say, here, I've got a little something under the counter for you, my son. Here, here's Chubby Brown. <laughs> no, that's all gone. They watch you stream instead. Because, Jim, I, I think what I'm sick of is just wanting to be entertained and feeling like I'm being force-fed a woke diet of how I meant to think. It's like, I just want entertainment. I don't want Disney or Netflix or Amazon or Apple. I, I don't want them to tell me how I should think. Well, Dan, it's three ninety nine a month, and you can have a VIP <laughs> Do I get a free membership? You, you, no, I'll pay. You, I'll you, pay. Plus VAT. Plus VAT. No, <laughs> I, I fully understand. You know, when I when I work live, I, I see a, an audience rocking with laughter. And and now when I do my television stuff or I'm producing other shows that we're making, I want to try and get that same effect. We don't want to. It's not a university lecture. Comedy is about making people laugh and you know making their side split. And and uh, you know the streaming channels. There's lots of streaming channels about, but we're a niche. I have a niche. Mm. Yes, and it's her birthday today, and my nephew. <laughs> but but um, it's. I should stick to the dirty joke, really, shouldn't I? But uh, I think it's because that we are aiming for a niche audience, the people yeah, yeah, yeah. that are basically being forgotten, people yeah. that want to laugh like they used to. No, and, and I get it, but Jim, tell me about your experience of being cancelled, effectively, by the London metropolitan elite who, let's be yeah. honest, they decide what TV programmes are, are made. What was that experience like and how did it happen? How did you sort of realise, oh, my goodness, they've cancelled me? Well, you get the odd theatre that, that cancels you because it's whatever the council is. Let's see if it's a real lefty Labour council. Oh, we don't want that Jim Davidson here. The worst I've ever been cancelled was from the BBC with the Generation Game. I was on every Saturday night. I did Big Break and the Generation Game. And then along came the BBC and said, look, we don't want to make another series of you. Thank you very much. You're an awful Tory voting person, working class. We don't really need you here. And they gave me a million quid to go away. And so I use some of that million quid to make my own TV station so I don't have to worry about the BBC anymore. But being cancelled by some unknown person in an office because they are upset about something they heard you do is, is awful, not just for me, but for everybody. It's all hearsay. Or oh, someone in the office said that this and that and that, or oh, we better just cancel. Yeah, because they're too scared. I'm never going to have a statue, am I? That they're too scared to have to potentially deal with any backlash. And it's like... The whole point of comedy is to be shocked. I mean, I, look, I just find it so depressing. And, Jim, I don't know if you've checked out much BBC comedy lately, but it's dire. It, it, it's not even funny because it's so woke. I mean, even Ricky Gervais, I don't think, Jim, could survive anymore at the BBC because they would censor him. 
Wouldn't you just love to see him on there live? <laughs> oh, yeah, I would. <laughs> be great. Talk about I the cat. We could do a double act, the pair of us, wouldn't that? <laughs> he actually said to me, I, I was with him up in Edinburgh, and he said to me, Jim, I'm in terrible trouble. I said, what's up? He said, I think I'm turning into you. <laughs> <laughs> He's the new you. No, look, I, I, I think it is a genuine worry, though. It's a genuine worry when comedians are cancelled. Because you, you, you're you not meant to be taken seriously. I don't mean that in a bad way. The whole point is for you to make us laugh and to say things that are going to shock. And that times horrify, Jim, which you have a track record of doing, but that's why we love you. <laughs> well, well, thanks very much, Dan. Unfortunately, you get cancelled because of a political statement. People want to yeah. say, look how good I am. We're not going near that or those awful comedians. We like the, you know, the Nish Kumars of this world that sort of do a lecture <laughs> as opposed to being, I know, I know, I know. The least funny man on, on planet Earth. I mean, I, Jim, well, I, I think you know, I've got to take you to training standards for even describing him as a comedian, to be honest. But Jim Davidson, you know you were always uncancelled here on Dan Wharton tonight. Great to talk to you, Jim. Love you, Dan. Thank you. Always so will. Always there. Dan Wooten here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooten tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. 